0: Was Tom Izzo wrong to lose his composure while coaching? How can coaches at all levels evolve to get the best out of their players? And how is the NBA playoff race shaping up? The only question left is say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to. To the P ball breakdown podcast. I might sound a little bit more relaxed today. I've been coming off of a week long vacation with the family, and as always, I am joined by the athletics, Jared Weiss. Jared, let's hear your voice today.
1: This is my voice just for today.
0: Okay. Well, glad to be back. Glad to be sitting with you here via Skype, and uh, we have a lot of things to talk about. I think. But uh, man, it's my—I still have beach, beach fever. So, uh, what's been going on? Well, someone tweeted something about Tom
1: Izzo berating a player, and I don't know if you caught this because you were on the beach, but it became pretty controversial. Uh, yeah. Do you know anything about the situation?
0: Yeah, I, I like to send my most controversial tweets out the day before I leave for a vacation where I'm going to be, you know, supposed to be offline. So, uh, yeah, I guess that would be me. And I'm almost trying to wonder if I felt like when I did it, it was a very visceral response to the Tom Izzo thing. And if you haven't seen it, you know, in the game one of the tournament, he lost his S-H-I-T times 10 on uh, uh, Henry. Aaron Henry? Is that his first name, Aaron? Yes. Henry. I've been calling him Henry. Um, and uh, it, was, it sparked, a, I would say, a, a worldwide debate, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah. I mean, we're only bringing up a tweet on the show because it's, one, it was yours and two because it, it is a really interesting debate. And – you know, you you said something in 280 characters, which I'll let you remind the audience what that is because I can't remember word for word. But that p- people extrapolated a ton of conclusions out of that, and this is why you have a podcast. And so that when you tweet us something controversial, you can then do a 10 minute segment going into it. So Absolutely,
0: this is like the, the, what, this is like politics here, creating exactly. our own news.
1: But so the, the so basically the synopsis is you is that there's a video of Izzo not just like berating a player, but screaming at him with like venom flying out of his mouth. And I think he, did he grab him a couple times? Well, he got out of his chair, to, to, to?
0: like almost kind of, I, I guess we were not going to say he's going to lunge at him, but the other, he, they had four other people that had of hands on him. to kind of yeah. push him back down in his chair. It was, I'm looking at it now. And by the way, just the, 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 the phrasing of the tweet that I wrote, uh, which was said, quote, I'll be happy when this type of coaching finally goes extinct. As this generation of coaches retire and fade away. Uh, and I regret that. I regret the tone it was so um, visceral in response. Um, I w- because and my penance for doing that was to respond to as many people as possible. I probably responded to about 2000 tweets, maybe more. Uh, it, but but the, my penance was to have to do it in a very you know patient, intelligence. You know I'm not going back because the vitriol I got from a lot of the fans uh, was the equivalent of what we saw in the clip, which is almost ironic.
1: And so, well, that's I mean, that's just the internet. But you you also mentioned something about the science is in, yeah, on this stuff, and that's all you know. And I, I want to give you the benefit of the doubt here and let you explain what that means because obviously when you just Say something like that on Twitter, everyone's like, What the hell is he talking about? So, can you, before we even get to that situation, can you explain what you mean when you say the science is in on that?
0: Okay. And, and parenthetically, I am doing a mini documentary this week on this whole thing. I wish I had gotten it out okay. you know, before I left, but you know, but I, and I have some amazing guests who are going to come on and talk more, even, you know, much more expertly about the science than me. But Um, you know, they've done multiple studies over a long time and it's, but it's, it's more recently as we're starting to understand in the coaching context, what, uh, angry, when you, when you display anger and you display disgust, we've seen the effect that it has on the brain and ultimately on the performance of the player. So when I would say the science is in that there are better methods, that's what I should have said in the original tweet. And I lament that I didn't do that, but I, you know, I tried to explain it. But um, so the, the, the idea being that um, and, and I'm going to have other experts who will talk about it even more cogently. But the bottom line is, is that what the brain does and how it is affected by that kind of anger uh, is detrimental to unlocking the absolute best of your best play. And what they discovered is that. Uh, players will play their their absolute best when they're in a positive frame of mind now if you want to do all the character building and all that stuff hey that's for practice and I have no problem with yelling and being passionate about how your points when you're trying to make them but when you're in a knockout game what we saw from Henry right after that was he threw the ball away twice and was visibly shaken for I would say at least 10 minutes so in my mind, like that's just not a risk worth taking to somehow build up some other good feeling that might happen later. And, and, it, and it, even if um, Henry got into an emotional equilibrium later, it was all on his own coping mechanism for this kind of stuff. But I would say it was a failure in the short term what happened right after that. And that was not worth doing uh, in, a, in, a, in a tournament game.
1: So, you know, a lot of former players, I think Draymond was among them, resp- were responding to you. Yeah, say, Bridges, like, this is how Miles Tom. Bridges. Yeah, these are guys that are great success stories, obviously, especially, you know, Draymond, one of the great success stories yeah. of a, you know, unheralded player being developed into an incredible competitor and, you know, basketball savant in college by Izzo and then making that next leap with another great coach who has, it seems almost the exact opposite approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, Draymond's feedback was really interesting. I think it was mostly him just saying, like, that's how Tom Izzo shows you that he cares, and this is what he did to all of us, and this is what made us better. And so you're bringing up a point that's really interesting, which is that you're not saying, in in a fully nuanced discussion, obviously not in you know a couple tweets, now that you can kind of expound on it, that you're not saying that there isn't a time and place for aggressive yelling and humiliation and then character building from there. You're saying that it just doing that in that moment was a selfish move by Izzo and that he couldn't control his emotions and had the exact opposite effect of what he would have wanted to happen.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good uh, example. I mean, I I just think uh, in the context of a knockout game, a it's, it's simply because he lost control. I don't think that this was any kind of premeditated. Okay. I'm going to now get in his face and be this way. This was visceral on his part too. And, um, and listen, there are players at work, but Tremont's probably the only guy I can find who can play angry and actually perform well, well in, that, in that mode. So a couple of things I've discovered was I think most of the vitriol as I took a step back was from Michigan State fans. OK, because I got a lot of people who liked That's that cool. tweet and retweeted that tweet. So it wasn't like people were not agreeing with me, but it was pretty vocal. the people who weren't and it was awful. But I think a lot of the awfulness was simply just fans of Michigan State. Either they went there or they're just Michigan State Spartan fans. They put it in their bio. So that kind of, you know, showed a little bit of a bias there that probably doesn't represent, you know, most of the people that are watching this, because I would almost think that. You know the science. People were yelling at me about the science. It's like, doesn't it seem inherent? Like just by a from a common sense standpoint, that one of the keys to unlocking your absolute best is in being in a positive frame of mind. I agree
1: with that. I think that having some as someone who grew up with not a lot of um, confrontational enforcement, I, I found that the way that I was raised helped me become a more creative thinker and become more confident in myself but didn't toughen me up in a way that would be necessary if I were competing at the highest levels of physical dominance and so forth. So I think that there's a, definitely a, a line to toe there in trying to bring the best of both of those methodologies there. But at the end of the day, having a positive working environment rather than an environment of fear in a militaristic you know, a, or autocratic leadership structure, that's not the way to – get your players to want to play for you. It's almost as if you're creating a fear-based system in which the players camaraderie with each other is going to be mostly in response to anger towards the coach and creating a separation between the two. So I think that that, that methodology overall is only going to get you so far, at least now, I think maybe back in the day, society was so much more rigid and so much more hierarchical that, Someone like Bobby Knight could throw temper tantrums all the time and players would continue to right. fall in line.
0: Well, a couple of things. I, I'm glad you brought up the whole notion of so, – so here's what happened. It became very binary, which is the, no, no, of, the notion of Twitter anyway or the, the nature of Twitter. Whereas if you're not doing what Izzo is doing, then you must be soft and coddled. And this is exactly what's wrong with society today. Now, I'll find you uh, coaches writing in 1920 complaining about the soft players who don't listen and don't play hard. So this has been a, a a thing that's been happening forever. Um but those guys are coming back from World War 1 and Yeah, right. And yeah, maybe had maybe had two limbs if they were lucky, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And didn't didn't have to, you know, get mustard gassed. But nonetheless, um you know, so this, this whole notion of like there nobody could conceive of anything in between, which I thought was kind of crazy, but then again, it's Twitter. So one a lot of times one of my responses would be and I literally wrote the same response if you look at the thread, it's crazy, but it would be like can you conceive of, of, a, of a method of coaching that not only makes your players tough and accountable, but doesn't require, you know, out of control, rage and disgust. And a lot of those tweets got deleted. So to me, it almost felt like, oh, you know what, I, I could see his point. And then they deleted the tweet. So like that conversation didn't go very far because I think I made the point pretty well. The other thing you mentioned, since we're talking about military, even the freaking military has gone away from the style. That's the thing. They realized that it's not as effective as other methods that require what we call uh, what, what is called emotional intelligence. So it's like a lot of the, I had a military people who were yelling at me, too, and, you know, saying it's soft and whatever. But I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. It's like they're going away from it, too, because they realize it doesn't work as well. So this isn't necessarily a fault on Izzo. This is what he grew up with. This is what we all knew. This is what we were supposed to do to get players to to learn. But in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, it has changed. We have so much more data and understanding of what happens. So this is the evolution of this coaching that I hope we're going to see. And that was always the main point of my rant in the first place was that this is, you know, we're, we, we should have better players who play infinitely better than they ever thought they could because we, the science is in that we now know how to unlock that. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike view easy-to-understand charts and market data, and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving my listeners of B-Ball Breakdown a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at breakdown.robinhood.com. Well, you know, I think this gets to just a larger societal
1: issue, which is that we're we're way more focused on quality of life now than we used to be in general happiness and things of that nature. Mostly just because I think people are recognizing that a lot of the standards at which we measured success in the past may not they don't indicate necessarily happiness and satisfaction with life and lead to depression and so forth. So we're kind of at this weird crossroad where there's so much focus on trying to make sure that someone is generally happy that for one, you're creating a a generally vague definition of what is happiness, which is something that doesn't apply consistently to everybody. And so your basketball is a field where you have hyper competitive people whose definition of happiness and success is going to be most likely for the most part contained to their success in this career field. I'm kind of one of those kind of people where even if I'm happy with all my friends and all that other stuff, like for me, it's mostly my career that's going to define my happiness and my self worth. And that's a subset of people within society that are going to be willing to make sacrifices and maybe burn the candle at both ends or even just, you know, kind of overexert themselves or be or succumb or not succumb, expose themselves to more pressure in order to try to achieve their goal. Cause they're willing to endure that. And that's what matters to them. So a lot of these basketball players are just other people who are coming at you. They're coming from the perspective of that. They're willing to endure being lambasted by their, you know, by their uh, authority figures and things like that, because they're, they're more worried about the long term goal they're trying to achieve rather than any other um, the other general life happiness or any of that other stuff. And well, so the definition of the goal changes depending on what your goal is.
0: Kind of. But I also think that what they were coming at me for, especially the, the, the former players, because everybody threw their own story at me too, was it's a badge of honor that I went through that and that made me tougher and better. And that's why everyone else should do it as well. And that's the other thing that frustrates me because I, I think that, what that indicates to me is that they probably never had a really good coach that practiced emotional intelligence. So they don't understand. It's the Jimmy Butler thing we've been talking about all season long where he had, you know, Buzz Williams, who's like, you know, interface tough guy as well. And that's what he thinks makes him play as hard as he can. And that's the whole thing is, is when you get another kind of coaching that doesn't have to require that. And it still makes you tough, and you realize that. Then that's what you're longing for. Now, just to answer all the other people who were like, "You never played. You were the cr- crying sissy baby." Like that was the kind of stuff I was getting. It's like, first of all, I had uh, a coach worse than Mike Rice in sixth grade and seventh and eighth grade, and then I also my high school coach was in you know in that realm. He loses crap during the games, and it was it was you know crazy. I played fine. I played well under that. I had no problem with that. Uh, I always sensed that there was something better, though, at the time. Even then, but I also knew I was like, "Oh, this is going to prepare me for life. I'll be tougher, all this kind of stuff." So I, I use that same rationalization. But it's like, you know, wh- what is it preparing you for? I mean, what? What? There's there's no boss that's going to be able to do that to you in a in an office setting, as far as I can tell, that would ever be allowed to do that and, and keep his job. So it's like, I don't know. There's a lot of sort of these myths that I've been spe- being spewed out. And that was what was also frustrating because it's like, you know, it just, it just, it's just it's an ignorance of what could el- what other possibilities that could be out there.
1: You know, I had a great conversation with Chip England uh, last week or maybe it was two weeks ago. And we got into a lot into just coaching philosophy. And a big thing that he said that really stuck with me, and this will be in an upcoming article, is we were talking about shooting and he was saying there's always more. There's always more that you can do to improve. And Steph Curry still needs to continue to improve. You know, and Steph Curry's, everybody, everyone has rushed to say he's the greatest shooter of all time. We're like, I think now it's pretty apparent, but people are, were obsessed with saying that even when he first started becoming a great shooter, but he's continuing to improve. I mean, it's, he is, he's getting, I think he's having his best shooting season ever this year still, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's been incredible this year. He's shooting almost 45% from three as pretty much the highest volume three point shooter ever. It's incomprehensible what he's doing. And Steph has only gotten there because he's always had that mentality of that even when he was already the best shooter of his generation, he wanted to keep getting better and better and try to continue to inch forward uh, over and over. And I think that from when you're looking at leadership models, that those can always be improved, too, and that even if you are a a certain type of coach or you're a certain type of player with a certain mentality, you can always try to learn to make yourself more well-rounded, and it's the coaches or the players that get stuck in that mindset that don't have now i feel like i'm brad stevens that don't have the growth mindset right that feel like they're they're gonna they're only hard asses, so they can only be hard assets like you got to continue to try to nuance yourself so that you can account for different interactions with different people working with different types of groups handling different types of situations because there's just like being a very supportive soft easygoing person isn't always a solution when you have a very high pressure situation, and you need to be able to be assertive, decisive, aggressive, confrontational. You now, have to have you have to have a blend of all of that to be successful.
0: Yeah, and I'll, and and to your point, I'll wrap this up with, um, you know, when's the last time Izzo went to a coaching clinic as a as an attendee? You know, like that, I, that's that's my thing. Uh, and also, his response uh, was uh, the next game was uh, to mock, you know, me or mock whoever. I mean, I don't know if he saw I, my tweet. I, don't,
1: I can't imagine he was had you in mind when he was mocking that I don't well me being like
0: list. my side and whatever but and by the way sure. l- listen like you know Scott Van Pelt did a, a monologue and like you know whatever whatever my influence is on Twitter it's it's pretty influential in a way that I think that it sparked a lot of this I, I just it just feels that way based on the interaction levels and stuff so uh you know I don't know I didn't see a lot of too many other like you know huge names really coming out against it like oh, I you, did but
1: that was that was absolutely you okay Not so to, anyway but the but point. Being,
0: being, yeah, you, you started that conversation. Yeah. So the point being that, like you know, he was so you know mocking and whatever and dismissive of this what, what what we were coming where I was coming from. But what happens after that, right? The next few games, he is calm, he is composed, he is probably even like positive. And what happens? Aaron Henry has his best games of the season, and everyone wants to be shouting at me, see what that did? And I'm like, no, again, this is where with science, there isn't a a real connection between a tirade he had on Aaron Aaron Henry and then uh, a week later, he's suddenly playing really well on the court. You know, it's much more of a in immediacy of how you're dealing with and communicating in that game that affects how he plays in that game. And it's wonderful to see. I was so excited to see Henry with a smile on his face, fantastic body language, nailing shots, playing great defense—all the things that I've been talking about—and they're vindicating me. And it was almost like people wanted to just shove it in my face instead and kind of taint that uh, how well he was doing. And that again, we, we need to have a, a significant shift in the mindset going forward. And if I could at all have Help that, uh, then that'll be worth having to take all the all the problems that we got out on Twitter.
1: Hey, maybe Tom Izzo at some point is going to step back after the season and realize that he needs to control himself more. So you never know. Yeah,
0: and by the way, I, he might have already done that. Like his reaction, even though he was really uh, sarcastic or whatever, clearly he heard it. Right. That's the other thing. It's clearly he heard it. Clearly, he might he might have already done it. And certainly the way he coached the next two games indicated that. Now, that said, he hasn't had to deal with, uh, you know, being down at halftime like they were or they were. And I'm waiting to see today what happens when they play Duke. uh, If you know what happens and how he's going to react to a really stressful situation like he'll have today. So we'll find out um, when this podcast drops and, uh, and we'll see if there's any growth there. Let's just very quickly establish, since we're
1: wrapping this up, and I know people are going to take this the wrong way, Izzo is one of the greatest coaches ever and has been remarkable, and we're not, at least that's my viewpoint, I would imagine you'd agree with me. We're definitely not saying that he's not a great coach, but we I think both of us disagreed with how he handled that situation and think he could do better than
0: that. Right, but, and, he, and, and he's known to do that in a lot of situations, so it's not like it's a yeah. one-time thing. But, no, he's an awesome, amazing recruiter. Uh, he, he has produced more NBA players than almost any other school in his tenure. There might be one or two schools that have more. So, you know, but, so he's getting a lot of terrific raw talent in, that's, which is also a huge skill. Plus, X's and O's are good. So those are the things that really are what propel his teams. I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced that this, these, these tirades and all this kind of anger stuff that he uses is, is any part of the key to his success, which is, again, more kudos to him and what he actually does you know, with the X's and O's and with recruiting. So uh, absolutely uh, great conversation, and I cannot wait for you guys to see the mini doc I'm producing uh, later on this week. March Madness is upon us. And it's another huge month in sports across the NBA and NCAA. With the Final Four coming up, there is only one place to get in on all this action. BetOnline.ag You can support B-Ball Breakdown by going to clnsmedia.com slash bball for a 50% sign-up bonus. That's clnsmedia.com slash bball. And it will allow you to place bets on all the action. We've got Texas Tech and Virginia already slated in the Final Four. And I know today's games are going to be amazing. So get your picks in at betonline.ag now. You can also try live in-game betting where you can participate on all the action with every single play. So... Head over to clnsmedia.com slash bball. You can also just use the code CLNS50, get your 50% sign-up bonus, and raise your game. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. So let's talk a little bit about the Western Conference playoff race, particularly the bottom of it, because it's kind of in a wild swing. And uh, it's been kind of crazy, Jared. If you looked up, you might realize, um, you know, the Spurs are really playing well after being pretty mediocre for a lot of the season, and shockingly, the Oklahoma City Thunder have really, really struggled losing twelve of eighteen. Did you know that when I told you that this morning? I knew they were
1: struggling, but I didn't realize the record was that bad but yeah they're they're seven and twelve in the last month and a half and twenty second in net rating uh just ahead of the Lakers of all teams, of course mm-hmm. uh, so yeah they're they're in the pits right now,
0: yeah. And I was studying this thing. So basically, in the last 18, their offensive rating in, be- before that was 12th. So they weren't even like the most uh, efficient offense anyway. And, you know, that had a lot to do with Russell Westbrook was shooting threes and he was really struggling. The irony is, is that he's actually shooting threes better at like, thir- like 34% in the last 18. But he's taken like seven a game. And it's just, it's just too many for him. It's a really bad look. And their offense has plummeted to 29th in offensive rating over the last 18. That is not going to get it done. In fact, they might have to be worried about what's going to happen. You know, uh, I mean, they're not they're, they're going to make the playoffs. They're already clinched. So that's not an issue. But it, it's a real problem with, you know, a chance where if they were to face the Warriors, I think at some point in the season, we felt like that would actually could be a good series.
1: I think it's, it would still be a good series to watch. It just would not be a good series for the Thunder's <laughs> chances of an upset. Because I feel like the, every everyone except for the Warriors has a chance to get upset here. Denver has been amazing this year, but there are ways that you can attack their defense that you can expose them if you have a if you have good speedy ball handling attackers. Um, you know Houston, obviously, if you can find a way to corral James Harden sufficiently, they're beatable. And then the rest of the conference is kind of I mean Portland is, is in the standings pretty much in the same spot as Houston, but I think you're comfortable with putting Portland kind of in that same tier with Utah, and then I guess the Clippers, Spurs, and Thunder are pretty much in that tier as right. well, but it seems like everybody's on an even playing field. So. Right,
0: but Portland has dropped down now because of the Nurkic gruesome injury, Yeah, and that's going to be a real problem. Like, can, can Ennis Cantor, you know, uh, fill that role? I don't know, um, but yeah, so I, you're right. So as a result, the Western Conference first round should be amazing, right? I mean, capital A?
1: One of the best in recent memory, probably.
0: Yeah, like depending on how,
1: how good you think these teams are. But I mean, yeah, they're it's so even. I mean, all these teams are basically like 48, 50 win teams this year. It's insane. This could be one of the best years for like the depth of the conference. Everybody being close to 50 wins. I think I remember that happening a few years ago, maybe like six, seven years ago, where everybody in the West was close to 50 wins. But I mean, it's it is it's amazing just because every single series in the first round is almost a toss up.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and you know, and the Golden State Warriors, they're not really playing well, but again, we're, we'll sort of say they're ennui, and they're just sort of waiting for the playoffs, and they have it when they want to turn it on. I'm willing to sort of stay in that boat, having seen Cleveland do it, and, and them do it, too, a little bit, so... Uh, I'm not, I'm, yeah, I don't, I'm not worried about them even like probably to the finals in theory, but you know, they get slogged through on a, a, on a tougher first round series and a second round series, you know, that could weigh on them and wear them out. And, you know, if they have to meet Houston or somebody like that, uh, we'll have to, what we'll see, it could be, you know, we might have another epic seven game series in there, but it still feels like they're going to take it, which is a little bit of a contrast to what's happening in the middle of the Eastern conference pack, where we have three teams that are kind of limping to the finals here, the, the final stretch. Where we have you know the Nets, the Pistons, and the Pacers uh, just not playing well either, and then the Celtics not playing that well.
1: Is anybody playing well? I guess Miami playing decently. Yeah, they're twelve and eight in the last twenty. So,
0: and then you have NFL to be careful. The, of span, yeah. the Magic have won seven out of ten, and they're now only half game out of that eighth spot. So all of a sudden, you know, there, there's the uh, the Pistons are 18 games back. The Nets are 18 and a half. The Heat are 19 and then the Magic are 19 and a half. So all of a sudden you have four teams competing for those three spots. Um, and two of those teams are not uh, are not playing well and their records are not uh, that favorable. Uh, the Nets certainly uh, have a gauntlet to go through. So I'm worried about them. It was really exciting to see, you know, their first playoff uh, berth in a while. And it's a little bit dicey right now.
1: It's amazing that just in the last month and a half, the Nets, or I'm sorry, the Magic and the Pistons are tied for six in the NBA at plus five point four net rating. It's amazing how those are two teams that I think also last year, right, were really good in the first like couple of weeks and they people thought they were for real, then they fell off a cliff mm-hmm. and they never reascended that cliff. And this year they're actually doing it. And it's I guess maybe it's a testament to that they're growing more and more. But Brooklyn has been a much better overall composed team throughout the year. And I would rather see Brooklyn in there because, one, I think Brooklyn has the best future of all those teams. And two, I think they probably in a series have the most, the, the highest probability of being able to actually upset one of these top two, uh, three teams.
0: Yeah. And interestingly enough, if you look at the Pistons uh, schedule real quick, they play the Pacers twice in a row. Coming up, which I find interesting, and they're going to play OKC. So all of a sudden, the teams are all talking about getting mixed together here, and that happens a lot down the stretch of the last five, six games of the year. We're going to see these guys play each other, uh, but they do finish with the Hornets, Grizzlies, and Knicks, the Pistons too. So that feels really good for them to finish on a high note and solidify that spot. Uh, I would imagine they they would probably end up where they are now, uh, which is um, you know in the uh, sixth spot or so with a on, with a road road um, opener on the uh, in the first round. But um, the Pacers, again, also, it's almost like a win for them having lost Oladipo when they did. And they've been able to stay above water impressively. Um, I think anything else they get in the playoffs is going to be gravy.
1: Yeah, I mean, the fact that they've held on to their position is pretty remarkable. I mean, they're probably going to end up in the five seed, it seems. Although the Celtics are doing all they can to help them hold on to the four seed. But those two teams play each other one more time next Friday. So we'll probably have that settled right there in that game. Um, but Indiana has shown that they're not like their system isn't dependent on Oladipo. It's just that Oladipo puts them over the top. But McMillan has figured out. I mean, for one, Bogdanovich turning into a truly elite shooter has probably played a huge role in why they're able to be as good as they are. Because when they first got him there. He wasn't that good of a defender. He had just come off of a season with the Wizards where he was kind of disappointing. Mm-hmm. Like he would hit some spot of threes, but like didn't really do much. And he's just completely transformed his game under McMillan. And then Thad Young, of course, has some – a guy who was – didn't really have a position in the NBA for a while. Later in his career, his kind of like swing position has actually become so valuable. And I was watching the, – the Pacers were in town in Boston the other night, and – They were running these snug pick and rolls, like kind of like in the high post on the left side with Thad. And Young was able to shake Aaron Baines, who is the kind of big that used to be an issue for him. It was able to get to the rim, like consistently there at the end of the game. And I talked to him about it after the game. And Thad said that he thinks he's going to be the X factor in any series that they have where it's really good. A lot of it's going to come down to whether he can take advantage with his speed and athleticism of whatever matchup he gets probably facing a team with another big out there. So, I mean, they, they still have a lot of upset potential. It's yeah. just they have to shoot lights out for it to happen.
0: Right, and I loved what I saw from Bogdanovich in last year's playoffs. That was another revelation where he was actually defending LeBron and LeBron, making it a little bit difficult easy. and hitting clutch threes and just being that uh, inspiration for them. So, they, you know what, you, almost might, you can almost argue that, like, they're not better, obviously, without Oladipo, but they relied so heavily on Oladipo and when he ends up doing the and by the way Olipo would come up big on so many of those possessions were just like an ISO for him out top and those are just tough tough possessions for for anybody to handle even if it's you know the, the you know LeBron have to do that all the time so uh, much less a guy who just you know just found his role like that in the last year and a half or two years so um, so arguably maybe it's a more varied attack, maybe a little bit more difficult in a macro sense to defend. So, yeah, and it's it's too bad they can't somehow get him back in time for the playoffs or whatever. And, you know, somehow make that mesh. But because uh, that would be even really how exciting would that be? If like they held on, they play well and somehow old people got healthy and could like play the last four games and then really turn it on. That would be really frightening, I think, for a lot of these Conference teams
1: would have been like when Paul George came back from the injury a couple years back. That would have been really exciting. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, he's not even
0: close. I mean, I don't even know what his timetable is, right? It's got to
1: be. It's not happening. He's he's done. Yeah. And he's a franchise player that they're committing a lot of money to, so they don't don't want to.
0: Yeah. So, anyway. But we'll see. And we'll see if McMillan can come up with some interesting playoff uh, adjustments that will cause some damage. And uh, I'm anxious to see if he he can do that, too. Um, But, again, I think what we're all saying here is that uh, this first round of the playoffs is going to be – Crazy. I mean, even in the Eastern Conference, even though some teams are limping through the end, uh, a lot of parity. I don't know. I think the East actually is probably going to
1: be not much parity except for that 4-5 or matchup with Boston and Indy, however, that shakes out. uh, I think that'll still be very competitive. But Philly versus Detroit, it seems like most likely. Um, I mean, Drummond can defend Embiid fairly well, but also at the same time, if Embiid's pulling him out, the three-point line you might be able to just you know put them on skates so right. and that's that true could, you,
0: you could tell me i was that was a dumb statement to say it was parody i mean in the east at least but yes well i'm, uh, I'm trying to i'm trying to work my way through it to see if it
1: was dumb I, it probably was dumb but knowing <laughs> yeah. you but uh, but it, yeah i guess not because i mean the raptors the raptors should be able to toy with whoever they're facing and then right milwaukee their health is a huge question mark obviously but the t- the quality of the teams at the eight spot are so low that I don't think yeah. Milwaukee's going to be And
0: Milwaukee is just they're they are they're that good. They really are the class of the, of, of the NBA this year the way they're playing. So um, I, you know Philly's got some things to prove without question. There's sure. some things uh, that Brett Brown needs to prove and that certainly Simmons needs to prove the way they play. So um, you know it, it, I don't know if they end up playing Detroit like you know that's that's probably a matchup at that that they could you know I, they might match up well yeah with Drummond and um, and Blake Griffin um that might be that's well, an interesting match i'm intrigued
1: who who guards blake for philly that's the, i don't really know is it ben simmons like yeah he's the only guy that seems to physically match up and he's a really good on ball defender so maybe that's who it is
0: yeah right and you that puts simmons
1: that puts simmons by the boards more often which means he can start transition more easily so i guess that right. makes sense for them i
0: mean they could yeah because uh, tobias harris in my mind's eye right now would not it wouldn't wouldn't work
1: No, he would get bulldozed by
0: Blake. Yeah, so that's an interesting question. And then off the bench, uh, the Sixers would uh, – I have to picture their lineup right now. But, yeah, I'm telling you. Mike Scott,
1: James Ennis, CJ McConnell a little bit here and there.
0: And, you know, Blake's going to get to – you know, he'll play 40 minutes. So they're going to have to be able to cover him, uh, you know, with more than one player. So uh, that's an interesting thing. Yeah, I mean, if Blake could detonate and reestablish himself, uh, you know, in the pantheon of great players in the NBA – That'd be a a nice story, and B uh, would really really make Philly fans upset. <laughs> um,
1: I, yeah, that would that would set off a firestorm in Philly if they lost in the first round. Oh yeah, I, I actually I don't know how they would feel if they lost in the second round to Toronto. I assume, yeah. which would be reasonable considering Toronto's really good. But this would be like the process has failed kind of thing.
0: Right. And, yeah, and it would depend on how many how many games. Um, but yeah, so, this picture that like let's take thirty seconds to picture what that would look like like if uh, the sixers lost in the first round. Brett Brown leaves. Is he gone?
1: I don't think so. I, I think Brett Brown's done a really good job with oh, yeah. a really rough uh, roster situation over the years. You know now they have like a really nice team, but it's not a it's not a very cohesive roster structure, and I think he's doing a good job making it work, but that makes me think that Jimmy Butler they they're not, not yeah. going to keep him.
0: Yeah, and he might just want to go anyway. Wait, because he, he's a free agent, right?
1: Yeah, he's a free yeah. agent.
0: So they'll keep they would, Tobias they would and, have to keep Tobias at that yeah, point. So, all right, well, let's we'll wait and see. But uh, great podcast to get back in the swing of things. And I like a lot of great points we made uh, across the board here. So, Jared, thank you for spending a little bit of your Sunday with me. Always enjoy it, buddy. All right, well, don't forget, sports fans, at B Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Jared? I'm in.